Hello and welcome to Pelvic Floor at its Core, the only podcast out there that is brought to you by a women's health medical technology company. I am your host, Shravya Cavella, Pelvic Floor Physical Therapist and Business Development Manager at Flight by Pelvidol. We have a unique approach at Pelvidol. We believe our product, Flight, can provide life-changing outcomes, but we also know that no single treatment is right for everyone. We are therefore working hard to increase the collective knowledge out there about the importance of the pelvic floor. Because the more we work together, the more we can work towards increasing access to pelvic floor care so all women can truly live their best lives. On this podcast, I bring on pelvic health experts to talk about a variety of topics that any and every woman and clinician can relate to and learn from. It's always informative, always interesting, and we always have fun. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core. Our guest today is pretty special. Her name is Sarah Highland, and she is an occupational therapist with a specialization in pelvic health. Her clinic is called Pelvic Floor and More, where she treats patients in the clinic via telemedicine or travels to their homes to provide quality care. I learned a lot from Sarah in this episode about the unique training that OTs bring to the pelvic health space and how she creates a flexible, safe space for her patients, even in their own home. The case study at the end is also seriously great. Sarah breaks down how she made significant gains with a patient who had seen multiple pelvic therapists in the past without any success by listening, molding her approach to what the patient was saying she needed, and taking baby steps that actually caused a lot of improvement very quickly. Sarah's absolutely great to listen to. She's super approachable and completely humble in a way that makes you feel at ease, even though she has a whole host of specialized pelvic health courses under her belt. So really excited for you all to hear this episode. Let's dive right in. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good. And it looks like it's starting out to be a really pretty fall day. I know. I can't believe it's fall. I am so excited to have you on with us today talking about the occupational therapy profession in the public health space. Let's jump right into it. I want to know about you. I had always thought, I guess, that I would somehow end up in a helping type profession. So when I started undergrad, I was thinking that I was going to be a special education teacher, but I didn't love the education courses. So I switched to biology because I found that really interesting. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go into medicine. And I was working at a summer camp for people who had special needs. And one of the moms said to me, you should be an occupational therapist. You'd be really good at it. And I was like, I actually don't know what an occupational therapist is. Was this mom an occupational therapist? She was not. Her son, though, uh, who had autism, was in occupational therapy, and she was a huge fan. Of, oh, so cool! Of teas, which is really cool. And she was like, "You just, I just feel like it would be a good fit." So she actually arranged for me to meet his therapist, which is wow, incredible. And I shadowed, and I was like, "This actually is a really awesome career. I love it." And so I applied to OT school, which is it's wild. I did all of my pre-OT hours with his OT. Oh my gosh. It's funny how that worked out, I guess, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's the most random way to find a a profession and I love it. It was 
amazing. She should be a matchmaker, I feel like, for her job <laughs> or like a career fit specialist. I love that. I realized pretty quickly in OT school that I gravitated strongly to mental health, but even a little bit more of a niche within it. I heard someone speak about a program in St. Louis where I went to, to grad school about a program for people who were HIV positive and then also Ooh. experiencing either difficulty with housing or being at risk for homelessness or who were homeless. And this OT worked at that program. And I was like, that is amazing. I love that. I had interned in the sexual health department of the public health department in undergrad. Mm-hmm. So it kind of meshed a lot of things I liked. So I ended up doing my master's project there. I worked in this like kind of community-based broad life skills, also sexual health. So then fast forward a little bit. Okay. So I would do um, an occupational profile. It looks like a psychosocial assessment with uh-huh. each of our clients. They were all in our transitional housing or some in the homeless shelter system. And then my job was to help them goal plan. Mm-hmm. And so very like quality of life focused. Very quality of life and really like life skills. I mean, some of the clients I would work with would have spent most of their adult life in prison. And so it's really like developing, you know, sometimes really basic life skills, but then those broader skills of what do you do with your time and yeah, those things. Very um, cool. And I always also did PRN and rehab because community-based mental health does not pay super well. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. Which is unfortunate, but yeah, the reality. So, so then when I had my daughter, I found out about pelvic floor therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, this kind of combines everything in one job. It has the like, you know, some of the mental health component. It has a lot of the sexual health component that I was doing. It has some of the rehab component. I was just like hooked as soon as I realized that this was something that I could do. And I just felt like it was like my dream job. I still feel like that every day. (laughs) So, Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. So it's, it's just been a really nice mesh in I don't know. I I think this is getting a little better, but at least for occupational therapists, pelvic health wasn't something that we like knew in school was a specialty area that we could do. You talking about the mental health aspect, you found that component in pelvic health as well. Like that as, as a PT is interesting to me because I know OTs definitely have that special training. Like what, what do you feel like you brought into your practice from that training or what has grown out of that? Yeah, I think I was I was trying to think about this knowing that I was going to do the podcast. And I think one of the, the big things is motivational interviewing because mm-hmm. it's really in kind of ingrained into the work that I was doing before, but also just a psychosocial perspective. So looking really holistically. So when someone comes with a symptom like pelvic pain, Mm-hmm. looking really broadly at what could contribute to their pain. Right. I want to go back to the motivational interviewing first because yeah. I think that that is something that a lot of healthcare practitioners in general, I feel like are just not always good at that. 
And (laughs) I'm just going to say it, you know, and I feel (laughs) like it is absolutely hard. But honestly, I think it's one of those things where you hear about it, you read about it, you go to a class and you're like, okay, we're literally talking about asking people questions. This is easy. You know, yeah, it's um, so hard though. But it's not. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I kind of have my own soapbox. I'm very passionate about like health at every size and addressing weight. And you know, yeah. there's a lot of research out there about weight being correlated with certain health conditions. But I think as a medical society, we just treat it very poorly. And a yeah. lot of how we deal with that should come with motivational interviewing and an individualistic perspective and the psychosocial perspective that you're talking about. I want to know from you, well, first, what motivational interviewing is. And can you give us an example of mm-hmm. how you would use that? Being an attentive and active listener and assisting someone through the stages of change So that's kind of my summary of it, my takeaway. Yeah. So you're really meeting the person where they're at. But an example of that would be reflective or summarizing. So I hear what I'm hearing you say is you're having pain more on the days that you feel really stressed at work. Does that sound about right? So it's really Mm -hmm. like meeting the person, letting them know you're listening, and then taking it sometimes even a little step further to assist them with making change. Right. So you may add on at the end, does that sound right? And it seems like you may think that meditation was helpful in the past. (laughs) So, you know, you're adding in like the piece of what you're hearing, but maybe spurring them a little bit towards change. Right. I mean, I think you said it beautifully and it's something we can all as healthcare providers and just people in general, like in our normal relationships, you know what I mean? Like we can really benefit from using that. How does treating patients with bladder, bowel, and pelvic pain dysfunctions, how does that fit into your OT scope of practice? Yeah. The definition of occupational therapy that they put forward is achieving health, well-being, and participation in life through engagement in occupation. And so we recognize occupations as the things people need to do, want to do, or expected to do Mm -hmm. throughout their day-to-day life. So everyone always thinks occupation is a job. Yep. (laughs) It's lots of things. So under our occupations are rest and sleep, Uh IADLs, so all of those instrumental activities of daily living, Mm -hmm. leisure, activities of daily living, work, play, education, and social participation. And within ADL are taking care of your body, like dressing, bathing, swallowing, feeding, you know, sexual activity, toileting, the act of cleaning up after. And then IADLs also include some of the things like management of health conditions, relationship management, all of those types of things that also kind of get mixed into public health. Mm -hmm. So it's really ingrained (laughs) within our practice framework pretty strongly that we recognize these as things that we should be interacting with clients on. OTs maybe don't do such a good job of advocating for our profession, though. It's really poorly understood what an OT actually is or does in general not just within pelvic health. That's why when I reached out to you, I was like, oh, I want to talk about OTs. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think it's not as well understood. I'm, I'm so glad you're talking about it. We recognize the impact of mind, body, and spirit connection. It's like right in oh, there in our that. practice framework that that's really like one of the strengths of occupational therapy. That's awesome. Yeah. And it really like, it's interesting because we do get in school a significant amount of training focused on sexual activity. Oh, really? Toileting. Like all of those things, but then there, it's not necessarily within the realm of like pelvic health. It was more focused, at least when I was in school on like rehab, but it was still like, you know, we learn to interview people about their sexual habits and talk to them after, wow. you know, a heart surgery about modifying their sexual habits to meet their precautions or right. after a spinal cord injury, how can you modify your sex positions? We are really taught those, we need more awareness that both PTs and OTs can go into pelvic health because there is a need. Oh my gosh, absolutely. We saw on your website that you offer in-home clinic-based and virtual services. So yep. virtual, I feel like, has blown up because of COVID, yep. <laughs> um, which is pretty great, actually. Not COVID, but the virtual services, yep. uh, just to, to increase that access to care for everyone who, you know, may not be able to come into the clinic. Flight is more than just a product. It's a service. Are you ready to learn more about whether flight is the right choice for your lifestyle and your pelvic floor? Or do you just have questions about your pelvic health in general? If so, go to www.flighttherapy.com and schedule a free chat with Leah Folker, a pelvic floor physical therapist today. Back to the show. Do you do pelvic health services in home with those patients. So meaning you travel to their home and you will do an assessment there and evaluation treatments. What does that look like? What are your challenges there? Yeah, I actually really love the mobile and home services. So primarily, I would say there's kind of two groups of people that want the home-based care. Mm -hmm. The first group are usually people that are either third trimester of pregnancy and having oh, significant amounts of pelvic girdle pain and it's just bothersome for them symptom-wise. Yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. And then the postpartum. So those six-week post-birth visits where it is torturous to leave your house with a small screaming baby who wants yeah. to either feed all the time or it's hard to like coordinate a schedule. You're not sleeping. Definitely like the pre-postnatal. And it's really nice for me to do a particularly the postnatal, that six-week-ish visit mm -hmm. at home because I get to see a little bit of the environment that the person is in. And that tells right. me a lot about where their mental health is. That I love. It, it makes it so much easier to make a plan that's really mm -hmm. client-centered because we're using whatever is in your house. So if we start to make exercises, which obviously are graded to where the person is six weeks postpartum, but we're using right. what's in the house. We're putting it into the person's routine so that it's easy to carry over. Yeah. Then the other group of people I would say that often will ask for a home visit are people with a history of trauma particularly if that trauma was in a clinic or hospital, whether that right. be a birth trauma or uh, an OBGYN. So if, if they have a dog that makes them feel regulated and safe, their dog could yeah. be with them. 
Wow, that's huge. That is huge. Of course, if I'm going to do a pelvic exam, I bring my own treatment table. I think that does help some, kind of like a clinic in my car. You just bring the clinic to them. Yeah, I do. I would say, honestly, people, I think, feel more comfortable at home. Um, Even with the pelvic exams, I've never had anyone be like, this is feels weird that I'm having someone do a pelvic floor exam at my house. They actually feel really like, okay, I'm in charge of this. Do you generally find yourself recommending that to patients who come to you with a history of trauma? Or is it something that you find generally they have the insight to be able to say, hey, this is what I would prefer? For some people, because of their housing situation, they don't want to be at home. So maybe they're in like communal housing because they're a college student or, you know, they have a roommate. So they... um they will want to come to the office, but then I'm trying to incorporate some of those same things that they might have at home. So I'm saying, okay, are there certain scents that are triggering for you? Is there a setup that feels more optimal to you if you do come in? I feel like yeah. the theme I'm hearing is you're giving them agency to yes. be able to choose their care. Right. Yep. That's huge. The whole whole medical system should do that. (laughs) You know, that's fantastic. Let's go into our case study, Sarah. Yeah. What are some of the key things we should know about this patient in your case study? This person's in their late 20s. They have pelvic pain. That's what their intake form says. And they've tried therapy three times and feel like they kind of failed in their own words, uh, making any changes, getting any improvement long-term in their pain. Mm-hmm. Their main goal is to be intimate with their fiance, which they have not been able to do without pain. And so as OTs, we kind of look at different things, client factors, which are our values, beliefs, body structures, and then performance patterns, which are someone's habits, routines, rituals, roles, and then their performance skills. So like all their motor social processing skills. Client factor wise, this person has a history of anxiety, a history of trauma, body function wise, a lot of constipation. And do they know they have constipation? No, no, no absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I right. feel like that's, that's always like, everyone's like, no, I'm not constipated. And then you ask more questions. You're like, yeah, actually you are constipated. Yeah. So constipation and urgency. They're having to pee frequently, sometimes leaking up to every 30 minutes, actually, and it's really disruptive to work. Routine-wise, this person drinks about 16 ounces of coffee or matcha every morning, and then on the way to work, doesn't typically eat all day, works about 10 hours, comes home, may eat takeout or if their fiancé has prepared something and either watches TV or plays with the dog in the evening. And then performance goal-wise, she notes that she has a lot of trouble executing plans. So she has a lot of plans to eat healthier. She may even like make a list of groceries she's going to get, but actually doing it is very, very difficult. She saw two pelvic floor therapists and a PT, and she said that the one did um, biofeedback. Okay. And she didn't know how to carry that over. The second did manual therapy actually for a year. And she had significant improvement every time she went. Uh-huh. But she didn't know how to carry it over to home. Right. And so she said it she just it was too expensive to keep going. And so she for a year too. That's a 
yeah. long time so investment. A full year. And then she saw yeah. physical therapy for exercise programming, which she felt was the most beneficial of the three because she had a home plan, but, mm-hmm. and then was going to the gym, was doing really well, actually executing that until COVID. Oh of man. Course. Of course. <laughs> so, she is at this point where she is desperate to feel better, but doesn't right. really know how to start. Feels like sh- there isn't a lot of hope because she's tried this multiple times. So she's like, this is my kind of last ditch effort. Yeah. Is, can I do anything to get better? What were the things that stood out to you that you felt like, okay, this is where we need to start? This is an IADL under the occupations for our framework self management <laughs> mm-hmm. and self efficacy. This person has some executive function concerns. And actually, she said that. She said, I have. I have some functioning, <laughs> I think she worded it like, I have some brain function problems where I just can't like figure out how to do this stuff. Okay, but so also she was she self-aware. had never been given the tools to actually self-manage. Right. So she needs a really uh, clear-cut, self-driven way to integrate this into those routines of and her how did you And how did you start that process? Actually, the first session was a lot of just the motivational interviewing, really listening to her story. She was really Mm -hmm. tearful at times. Like this has been a really long period of living with pain and anxiety and anxiety about the pain. (laughs) So like six years that she had been with pain, there had been an incident with a medical provider that she thinks Mm -hmm. triggered it, but it, it had been basically on and off, but mostly on since then. So just listening to the story was the start, giving her space to tell all of it. And then doing some motivational interviewing about why she thinks the pain is happening, Mm -hmm. what she's tried, what her strengths are, and then where she thinks that, you know, she could use support and then what her goals were. Initially, she said the goal was just to be intimate, but then as she went through, said several goals, <laughs> you know, which were like, how do I manage the pain on my own? Yeah. I want to be active, but I don't know how. I don't want to have urge at work because it's embarrassing. Yeah. So there were actually several goals within there. So it's just really kind of listening and getting the goals first. What I really like about that is you were asking her, what do you think is going on? She said that she thought that it was because of that incident, the traumatic incident with the medical provider, that she had this. Mm-hmm. Like that was the the why was actually not a musculoskeletal reason that right. she had pain. It was actually this event of trauma that she was certain had caused the pain and likely <laughs> was, you know, a driver of the pain, but it wasn't for her, it was not a musculoskeletal. It wasn't like I had a fall or, you know, a nerve injury or anything like that. After that first session, we made some goals around the really low hanging fruit that felt less threatening for Uh her, which was adding some water into the day, incorporating that into her current routines and rituals. So like every morning she gets up and she makes her coffee. While the coffee's brewing, she'll get that's her ritual. She'll pair that with getting water. So like, how can we pair the things we're going to do so that it's easier to do them? 
Right. She decided to add fiber and collagen to her coffee because she didn't think okay. that she doesn't like to eat breakfast, but that way she's getting some fiber and some protein. We were able to actually get some like decent starting points for making some change. Like her constipation actually <laughs> improved by the second visit a lot because we were able to kind of piece out some of these things. So That's it huge. may feel like you're not doing a lot listening and like problem solving, but it can actually make a huge impact in someone being able to do the activities that they want. How is her pelvic pain doing during that yeah. process? So we have met three times. The story has not ended yet. So part <laughs> of this was too, also knowing that I cannot tackle all of this and she probably needs other providers. So getting linked for therapy, mm -hmm. getting linked to a medical provider who is excellent at trauma-based care and pelvic pain <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. for just a differential diagnosis. And then we slowly degraded exposure for an exam. So I think at the second visit, we were able to do external work around the area with underwear still on. So sort of around the um, gluteal fold, ischiorectal fascia with underwear on. Mm -hmm. But again, like really checking into nervous system regulation throughout, not pushing past if there was more than three out of 10 anxiety or discomfort with the exam. And then by the third session, we were able to do some actual internal exam and work. And every time that we did anything, the first or second was, I did nothing that she couldn't carry over to home. So that was one of our initial just agreements at the beginning, everything we do here, will have a plan for how you can replicate this for yourself and right. a way to integrate it because that's what was missing for her before. And that's really what she didn't want to repeat. So, and we spaced out appointments so that she has time to practice everything and feel like she is either able to do it, or if she's not to come back and we can problem solve why it's not working for right. her. So we're kind of at the point now where she's having more days with less pain. She's identifying what's triggering the pain for her mm -hmm. <laughs> and the constipation's better. The water drinking, the urgency is much, much improved. The constipation's much, much improved. And she's starting to feel like she has some self-efficacy with it. And then we're waiting for the other care to kind of come in, which I think is going to be really helpful. So we've spaced out her next appointment so that there's time to really integrate with other providers. It sounds like with this approach, she's actually able to conquer the doing it part, like the yeah. going home and executing her plans. Yeah. And I'm not always amazing at this. And I think this is, is something that we- <laughs> You sound like you are. You, you, yeah, try. <laughs> Remember, this is three people combined. <laughs> but sometimes we just make a plan without asking the person if they can actually do the plan. So we're right. like, okay, here's your five exercises. Go ahead and do these. And we print out a sheet with the exercises. And what happens to the exercise sheet? It gets, I know if it's me, it gets folded up and like tucked under like the stash of random stuff on my counter that includes like keys and chapstick. <laughs> right, with totally good intentions. But, and then like there's yeah. that next appointment and you're either like lie that you did it or are like, I need to push back my appointment or you go and you're like, I actually didn't do any of it. And then the person, then you feel bad because you didn't do it. Right. 
But I think that's the piece that we miss a lot is like, how do you actually put the plan in? And I think that's where OTs are super skilled because we learn so much about activity analysis, routines, rituals, like how do we integrate this into someone's life and make it meaningful for Mm -hmm. them? Mm -hmm. Which is huge because it's huge. I think we forget it though, that that's like our, our special area. We like for whatever reason are are kind of like oh yeah I'm an OT <laughs> rather than like oh, my oh gosh. I have like all these amazing skills that I learned that can be so useful I think Absolutely. because they feel like soft skills you know it's not like I know this mm-hmm. amazing manual skill and like you can see it it's like this right. really soft skill that's so useful though yeah kind of like what we were saying with the motivational interviewing like those are hard they're difficult skills yeah they take time yeah that's the other thing like you really have to you have to spend time with the person and be willing to also feel some discomfort yeah absolutely you're not you don't have a maybe you have a plan but that plan may go out the window pretty quickly because it may not be what their plan is. Well, Sarah, that was so enlightening and wonderful to learn more about you as an OT, but also just about everything you do. And give yourself a shout out real quick. Just let everyone know where they can find you and where they can learn more about you. Yeah, so mostly I'm somewhat active on Instagram. (laughs) I try to be. And then... You can find me at my website, which is www.pelvicfloorandmore.com. And then I'm in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I treat, do the clinic home or virtual for all of Ohio, I suppose. Reach out if you have questions. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your insight on everything that we talked about today. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Pelvic Floor at its core. Quick disclaimer for you, Flight by Pelvidol is approved for pelvic floor strengthening and SUI only. All information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace medical advice. Always seek out a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about a medical condition. And if you have a question about flight and its indications for use, please see our website at flighttherapy.com. And that's it. See you next time on the next episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core.